Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm with USA Today bestselling author Colleen Coble uh, to talk about her upcoming book, Two Reasons to Run. Colleen, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I was looking forward to this. Yeah, so let's just begin with what the book is about. I know that it's book two uh, of your Pelican Harbor trilogy, uh, and it's very difficult to talk about the plot of book two without giving too much away about book one. But you're yeah. the expert, so I'm going to let you try to do that. Okay, <laughs> and I may give some stuff away because it is pretty hard. But um, uh, most of my series usually have had uh, separate or new protagonists, you know, with with each book in the trilogy. But that's somebody that uh, is in the is connected in some way. But this series um, has the same main protagonist through all three books because there was just a whole lot of stuff for Jane to try to. <laughs> work out but she's um, a chief of police in a small town in the Gulf Shores Alabama area and um, she's a little gal and so she's already up against a lot of preconceptions about her ability to do the job and that you know continues through all of the series you know that's one of the things that she's facing and she uh, her father escaped with her uh, from a cult when she was 15 and so there's a lot of issues from her past that have to be figured out. And it was just too much to try to put in uh, one book. So uh, the the whole series is, is Jane and Reed. And um, it was a super fun book to write. Uh, the last book that I had that had, or last series that I had that had the main protagonist was Clear Back in the Rock Harbor series, which um, Without a Trace came out in 2003. So that's how long it's been since... You have to read the books in order. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, w- I will warn your listeners that they must read One Little Lie first to really be able to get the gist of everything that's happening in Jane's life. And in Two Reasons to Run, uh, some stuff from that past uh, reappears in this book. And even as she is dealing with the threat of a terrorist um, what appears to be a terrorist plot to blow up a oil platform out in the Gulf, and one of the residents um, is murdered. And the first they think it that it's suicide, and so then, you know, she is involved in that investigation and trying to um, bring that to fruition. And uh, her son is also in danger. So it's a very fast-paced story and a lot of layers. Um, Super fun to write. Readers have been really raving about this series, which is, makes me really happy. It makes me wonder if I need to be writing, you know, <laughs> books that are always are tied like this because mm. the readers are like panting for the second uh, book in the series. Yeah. Did you when you when you started writing this? Did you immediately know that it was going to be a trilogy, or did you get to the end of One Little Lie and just think, Oh my goodness, there's so much here. I have to keep writing. No, I knew right from the beginning. Jane just kind of uh, came to my mind full-blown with all of her issues. And as I was um, thinking about the story, I thought, yeah, there is no way in the world I'm going to be able to wrap this up in one book. So I actually talked to my editor right from the beginning and pitched it as a trilogy that follows them through all three books be- you know, before it actually wraps everything up in book three, which I just finished. And uh, it's called... Uh, uh, three missing days. So uh, again, there's just a lot from Jane's past that that comes up and she has to deal with, and all kinds of danger swirling about all through three books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it, it all starts with uh, with with one little lie, and I want to talk about this aspect of book one 
uh, for just a second. It's, it's, it, it sort of begins with her escaping from this cult. What right. made you decide, like, oh, here's this is an aspect that I want to explore? It, it, that's that's quite of a can be kind of a dark and interesting backstory. Well, um, you know, I've I'm old enough to have seen some of the stuff with cults all through the years, and uh, this this particular cult was something I wanted to explore a little bit because it actually arose um, out of the, the book that was initially called uh, Abomination, and it's uh, uh, there was a cult in that that um, basically was destroyed there were some survivors but it was a uh, you know there was a firestorm you know the fire happening and all and i'd had readers over the years ask me about that and it's a, it was a survivalist cult but it had some weird uh, religious beliefs as well about how pain is good and you should you know kind of almost uh seek to <laughs> to have pain so um I just got to thinking about that and and when I was wanting to do something with a cult because you know people that come out of a cult they're searching for something and they just, they think they found it but they they don't realize that it's what they really need is Jesus and what they really need is is a true relationship with the Lord and they're looking for for something higher than them or or outside of themselves and they they get derailed you know the bible warns about false teachers all the time you see a lot of that and they're out there and people can you know just really get sucked into that and i wanted to explore that and how what kind of a imprint that leaves on someone who has gotten out of that i uh, uh, part of that aspect came up i i stumbled across a a blog of a young woman who had escaped from a cult, and she was talking about how there's a stigma, too. When people find out that you've been in a cult, it was like, how can you be that stupid, you know, to have been taken in like that? But it's insidious. Um, Lies and uh, innuendos and and false teaching, they can mess mess you up really badly and pull you in the wrong direction in small steps that you don't realize. Um, So I wanted to explore that and how... Um, Jane had to deal with uh, finding what true, what a true relationship with Jesus is, and what is true and what is not true, and uh, her own feelings of uh, guilt and um, shame over having, even though it wasn't her fault, you know, her parents took her there, but still um, she was dealing with that. And so I just wanted to explore that a little bit, and it was really very interesting to me. Um, I read a lot. Um, of, from other people that had escaped cults and how they got into them and what kind of imprint it left on them and how they had to work through that and I, I just wanted to explore that a little. I, I think it gives it gives an author. I'm I'm trying to think of different books that I've read that kind of have followed this pattern because you know this is um, it, it's always a unique and challenging idea but there are other other authors who have done it. And I think almost universally, it's because we want to explore some aspect of identity and finding their identity. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, exactly, it, fiction allows us to do that in a way that's ex- sort of extreme, uh, but in also a way that helps us relate to ourselves. Because we would never say, you know, oh, I came out of a cult. You know, that's that's very rare for for an actual person to say that. But we all have those elements of 
false beliefs in our lives or this idea of searching for identity in our lives. And, and fiction kind of allows us to take it to the extreme mm-hmm. so that we can then see right. the normal level of whatever that issue is in our own life. One of the mm-hmm. things that I've always found is that it, found it's it. very difficult is to keep everything in a sense of, like, this is still believable. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of relational drama in this book, and most of it stems from untangling and unweaving all of the mess of book one in the background to that. So when you're writing a novel like this, how do you make sure that everything does seem believable? Well, um, that's always a challenge in fiction because you could write, you know, there are some things that are so fantastical that happen in real life, but if you put them in fiction, people wouldn't believe you. Um, so it has to be set up properly to where, uh, you know, you're always thinking about how your reader suspends disbelief because that's what, you know, <laughs> that's what you have to do. They have to suspend disbelief to enter into the story. So uh, some of that you can pull from real life, but then you have to set up how that happened and how uh, it was believed initially. And when you're in the, the character's head, that helps a lot because y- you can get their perspective about how how um, things come about and play out. And I really liked what you were um, talking about on uh, what fiction does for us. And uh, one of the things that it does also is um, gives us empathy. Um, you know, I've never been in a cult. Uh, I'm a Christian, but, uh, you know, and I go to a really good church, but I've never been in a cult. And it was it's interesting for the re- writer, like you were saying, to enter into something like that, uh, something different, and to explore identity. But it also helps the reader get there, too, Um to where they understand what people go through and and gives us a different perspective on um, uh, battles that people face that we've never faced, to where we have a little more sympathy and empathy for what other people go through. Mm -hmm. I think that's what what good fiction is intended to do, is that it helps us, you know, kind of explore these ideas in this safe zone of fiction so that we can take them out into our lives and, and hopefully be changed True. by yeah, it. You know, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's always the, you know, you can read a book and it's just for fun and whatever, but, you know, I feel like really good fiction, it has to, you have to be able to grapple with the themes and the ideas. And one of the themes that I really got from this book was working through forgiveness and working through uh, her guilt um, talk to me a bit about that aspect of the story and how you developed it. Yeah, um, it's, it's sort of funny because I'll start out with a whole different uh, idea as far as what I think the book is about. But always, always, the, the theme of forgiveness almost always pops up in, in my books. And I think it's because... Um, it's something that I believe changes people when they can truly understand forgiving yourself and forgiving other people. And the forgiveness you know, first starts from the Lord, but um, we still have to come through that not holding grudges against other people and all of that. And forgiving ourselves can be something really tough to do. And, and um, so that particular aspect of forgiveness really worked its way into this series because uh, of Jane's past and and where she really feels like she has to forgive herself that she you know she swallowed 
all of the the cult teachings herself, even though you know she was taken in there as a child and and that was the way she was trained up, but she still had to forgive herself and work through that and and her mother was left behind in the in the uh cult, and um she is dealing with guilt there too, you know why didn't she fight harder to get her mother out too you know, her, basically her mother didn't want to go, but um you know, she still is dealing with all of that. And so this is a little different in, uh, you know, like I said, uh, for the, the theme of forgiveness often comes up in my books, but this one is more forgiving yourself um, for for the past and th- in ways that you failed. And we all have those. You know, we all have those things in our lives that uh, we wish we'd done differently um, and we wish we could go back and change. And sometimes it, it can stop us up from growing because we're still stuck there. And I wanted Jane to not be stuck there, <laughs> to, you know, to get past all that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's uh, – my next question was going to be, what do you hope your readers take away from the novel? But I think you've already answered it yep, right there. Kinda, I kinda yeah, I kind of went yeah. there, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. so you – know, and, that, and that's good because that's what you want – I think that's what you want from your fiction is, is you know, I, I can say that as, as a writer, that's your hope. You, you want people to go away being like, wow, that was a great story. I want to read the next book. But you also want them to be changed by what they've read and to really be interacting with the ideas. This is more than just, you know, a way to pass time. Um, this is also our way of grappling with these ideas that we can recognize easily mm-hmm. in fiction. Yep. It's a safe way of exploring in fiction. And um, it's a little more dangerous and scary when we do it in our own lives. So if we explore it here first, we can hopefully yeah, talk about ourselves <laughs> later. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. I wanted to ask about the the setting of the novel because in in the Gulf Shores area, uh, beautiful area, and I was curious as to what led you to pick that region of the country for this setting of the book. Well, I, a lot of my series are set along water, and I you know I've done Maine and uh, North Carolina and uh, Washington State and Great Lakes area of Lake Superior, so there you know there's. Uh, I, I like those settings, but and so we were down in uh, uh, the Gulf Shores area on spring break with our granddaughter and and my, our son and his wife, and um, we, my daughter-in-law has uh, some friends that live there, and we were meeting them for dinner at a seafood restaurant, and their 16-year-old son came along, and he was had been working on a, a, a shrimp boat. And so he was telling me about how you wouldn't believe the things that you pull up in the nets off of a shrimp boat. He was talking about appliances and, you know, all kinds of things. And so then I just <laughs> I was going to tell you how, how my mind works, which might be a little scary to readers. But uh, I immediately had this this vision in my head of a shrimp boat pulling up a body in a net. And... So that was the kickoff scene for um, One Little Lie, was um, a, a body, a headless body in a wedding dress in a cooler, and one of those really large coolers that, um, you know, you put fish and stuff in. Um, and so that was the, the initial murder um, that Jane is investigating in One Little Lie. So that's, you know, the... the the thread there but uh yeah <laughs> and and it's just really a cool area because it's got a little bit of uh the new orleans vibe to it too because you know they do mardi gras and all that kind of stuff there too i, I didn't actually have that in the book but um it's you know lots of seafood and uh lots of uh uh cajun influence there and it was I, we just really liked it a lot it wasn't as um 
touristy as a lot of places we've been along the water. And I just really fell in love with the area and thought, I'm going to set three bucks here. <laughs> so sure enough, that's what I did. I'm sure the people of Gulf Shores are, are pleased to know that you think that they just pull bodies up out of their water. But uh, no, I'm sure I'm sure that the, that they loved it. Uh, this is a question that came in from your editor. So when I when I had requested this interview, we did a pretty quick turnaround time on it. The, it was I think we set this up on Friday, uh, and it's now Monday. Um, so I, I had asked like I, I don't really have time to read the entire book. Um, are there any suggested questions? And your publisher was kind enough to reach out to your editor, and your editor sent it back a few questions, and this is one of the ones that I picked. Because I think it's a bit of a leading question, but I don't know the answer to it. So if your editor is saying, hey, here's a good question to ask, I'm hoping it has a good answer. Um, <laughs> so the question, so with, with that set up, uh, do you ever draw up on any real-life inspiration or people for your books? Uh, well, in this case, you know, in the case of this series, uh, that whole shrimp boat thing, you know, definitely played into it. But but for people, not so much. Um, it's the funniest thing because I know a lot of authors who base their characters on people that they know, but my characters usually just kind of evolve and appear in my head, and they and it's really difficult um, in one way because sometimes uh, interviewers you know, for for. Uh, uh, online or in print um, interviews, you know, not audio, but they want me to send them a picture of an actress or actor who could play those parts. I can't come up with them because they're, they're not based on anybody. They're, they're based on themselves. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of weird, but um, they just uh, kind of evolve in my head and they really aren't, they really aren't um, based on people that I know. I, uh, uh, I've had people say, "Oh, who, who who did you base this character on?" And it, it, it just isn't. <laughs> you know, it's just not there. So. Yeah, I want to turn uh, just for a few minutes to sort of the writing life, because uh, we got a fair number of people who listen to this podcast that are writers. They want to be writers. Uh, they want to you know get into the publishing industry. So I always try to talk about the writing life on the podcast. And uh, what do you think is the biggest lesson? Like, what do you? What do you know now that you wish you knew back when you were getting your start? Well, it took me um, – I got my start – I had a younger brother who was killed in a freak lightning accident, and he was um, a year younger than me. and So I was 38, he was 37, and um, it was the catalyst for me to start writing. I'd always wanted to write from the time I was a little girl, but yeah, I got married young, uh, started raising our family, and just pushed that dream to the side. And then when Randy was electrocuted, um, it was just a wake-up call. And so I wrote that first book, took me um, a year to write it and six more years to sell it. And during that time, I did not know another writer at all. And I can't tell you how important it is to, to try to create relationship in the writing community that is very helpful for you going forward. I'm also CEO of American Christian Fiction Writers, which you may not have known. But um, so I uh, advise aspiring writers all the time. You know, I talk. That's just my passion is to help other writers get started. And that's because I call that my wandering in the wilderness those seven years when I didn't understand the writing life at all and. I didn't even tell anybody for many years during that seven-year period that I was even writing because it felt presumptuous. Who did I think I was, this, this girl in a cornfield in Indiana that thought I had something to say? <laughs> you know? um, 
And I can't tell you how much enriched your life will be when you make um, connections in the writing community. And uh, ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers, has a really great conference. It's really it's the best conference for fiction every year because every editor in the business is there, every uh, uh, agent that's you know really known is there, and you make connections with other writers who you find critique partners, you learn about the business, you learn about writing skills. And uh, I, I always say you can't make money being a writer in, just as in any other business. You have to spend money to make money. And one of those expenses should be a really good writer's conference every year because you find people that are um, published that might endorse your novel. You find people that will encourage you along the way. You may find a mentor. There's just a huge uh, thing that r- really enhances your journey when you start making those connections. And um, so it, that's something I'm a really big believer in. It was very lonely those seven years, uh, not even knowing or understanding anything about the business and what I was even trying to do. I had a writer's market book. <laughs> uh, I literally have enough rejections for that first novel to paper a wall in my office. And you know, it was very hard and lonely and scary and discouraging. And when you have somebody else that you know is coming alongside, then that's huge. I, you know, I found my critique partners um, at writers' conferences too. And Denise Hunter and I have been critique partners for going on 22 years now. And uh, that's and we're you know great friends. Kristen Billerbeck is another um, of those great friends that you know we've critiqued each other for a long time. She was actually my first critique partner. And then Diane Hunt, who's passed on from ovarian cancer. You know, there were four of us were um, just fast friends and encouragers to each other. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that kind of scenario play out as as people are beginning to make those connections in the writing community. So, uh, you know, it's just, it, it, it can be a really lonely life if you don't have people who understand. Because you can have a zillion other friends from church and your neighborhood and your growing up years, but they don't get you like another writer gets you. You know, <laughs> one time I, uh, I was on an airplane with uh, Diane Hunt uh, and Denise Hunter, and we were flying to the Mount Hermon Writers Conference. And I was talking about uh, how I was planning to kill somebody in my novel. <laughs> I looked around and suddenly realized there were people on the airplane staring at us. <laughs> you know, but my friends got it. They totally, you know, they totally understood. So uh, that's just really huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a typical like writing day? Like you sit down and you have like I have I have a word count that I'm gonna hit every day. Or how do you how do you make sure that you discipline yourself to get the writing done? That is exactly what I do. Um, I have a, a word count that must be done every day to stay on track, and I don't let anything come, you know, de- derail that, or I'm I'm falling behind. <laughs> so. I uh, pretty much, you know, it's, it's sitting in the chair and getting that done. And I try not to make it too strenuous because um, sometimes it can take me all day to get those two to 4,000 words, and, and sometimes I can knock them out in three hours, and then I could go do something else. But I plan that it's going to take all day um, just because you just don't know. And um, I am not a plotter. I am mostly a seat-of-the-pants writer, so... Um, I readers often say, "Well, I, I couldn't figure out who who the villain was, and you know who did it." Well, that's because I don't know usually. 
<laughs> I lay down several rabbit trails of people who could have done it and various reasons it could have been done, and then I see where the story takes me. And that makes it much more fun for me, too. I have plotted out a couple of novels earlier on, and oh my gosh, I hated every minute of it because it was like if I know what's going to happen, why write the book? You know, what's the point of it? <laughs> True, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I like to end with this question, and I always feel bad about asking, and I, I honestly, I feel like I know the answer, um, but I always like to ask what's next, and I assume it's the third book in this series, which you said you just finished. Um, mm-hmm, that is, So, but I am working on a new one. There you we know? go. That's, that's what I was trying to get to. Like, what? Because, you know, here's the thing. I have all these authors on, and the book they're talking about has been done for six months or more. Just because yeah, of the nature uh, of the publishing industry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So it's always like, you know, they're going like, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've just read it usually. So I'm telling them details and they're going, really? Oh, that was a good idea. <laughs> uh, so they're usually more excited to talk about the book they're writing currently. However, I know there's, you know, you only want to say a little bit about that, just enough to get people uh, ready for it and able to remember mm-hmm. it, you know, a year from now when it comes out. So, and I actually don't even have a title for it yet. It's set in Jekyll Island, Georgia. And uh, uh, some of your re- listeners may have been there, but it's a super cool area. I had uh, It was a playground of the rich back in the late 1800s, so like Rockefeller. And, and our uh, banking system was developed there with all these rich guys that, had a meeting, a secret meeting, and and you know came up with it, and so the history of it is really cool, and it's actually a uh, um, owned by the state of Georgia now, but all of the historical buildings are all still there, and the you know the history is just so rich, and lots of um, sea turtles uh, hatch in that area, and so it's just got a really cool vibe, and um, so that's what I'm working on, but I'm not very far in, so uh, I'll save the overview of the thing because I like I said I'm a seat at the pan yeah, so, so if I told you yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where it's going yet so I uh, uh, I can't tell you a whole lot other than um, my gal uh, uh, Tori is um, kind of thinks the Hilton family she's from a, a really wealthy um, family of lo- lodging family in a hotel family and um she's back there incognito they don't, she hasn't been to that area in a long time and she's investigating the death of a best friend so um you know quietly on the sly so uh, that's all i know so far <laughs> okay. all right well colleen i want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast i really appreciate it i know that my listeners do as well so thank you so much well thank you so much it was super fun and good luck with mm-hmm. your own writing that's exciting um, so again the book is two reasons to run uh by colin Cobol. it's published by thomas nelson and it ooh, i don't know the release date when when does this book come out uh, September sixth. September sixth. So we this uh, uh, this podcast will go up shortly before then. So you'll have enough time to run out and pre-order it and make sure that it's there at your doorstep the day that it releases. Uh, again, two reasons to run. You can purchase it from Thomas Nelson or Amazon or your local independent bookstore.